Welcome to the Remembering Podcast. I'm Martina, and I'll be your guide through this and every episode of the podcast because it's my podcast. (laughs) If you were with me last week, we talked about personal sovereignty, and this week we're talking about what is perhaps the biggest foundation to being intentionally sovereign, making aligned decisions and creating anything worthwhile in your life. And that is your identity. One of the most powerful parts of getting to decide your path and what it is that you want to build and do with your life and work is knowing that you get to shape the story that will become your legacy. And if you want that legacy to be truly meaningful, impactful, and authentic to who you really are on a soul level, it all starts with knowing yourself and knowing who you are. It starts with your identity. And that's why I want to start off today by sharing with you a really beautiful folk tale about a peasant girl called Mariushka, who has supreme clarity around who she is and the legacy she wants to leave behind with her work, specifically her art, and through it the difference she is going to make in the world. So, long ago in a Russian village far from here, there lived an orphaned young woman called Maryoshka. Maryoshka's greatest talent was her ability to embroider exquisite works of art. Her work was so beautiful that work word of her skills spread, and people began to come from distant lands to see it. And despite all of the praise and wonder that people displayed at her craft, Mariushka remained humble, and even when people offered her riches to come away and work with them, she stayed really grounded, down-to-earth, and kind. When they asked for her to come away with them, her answer was always a kind but firm, Riches I do not need. I will sell my work to anyone who finds it pleasing, but I will stay here in my village. The story of her skill and humility spread, and eventually an evil sorcerer called Kashai the Immortal heard about the girl and her work. His blackened heart was seized with anger that some nothing of a girl was adding such beauty to the world, and even in his disgust and disdain, there was some part of him that yearned to experience her work and to see the one who created such delights. And so he headed for her village and took on the form of a handsome youth, thinking he would ensnare the girl who was creating such horrible and displeasing beauty in the world. One night, he arrived at her home and knocked on her door asking to see her wares. Rather than complaining about the midnight intrusion on her sleep, the sweet-natured girl showed him her gorgeous handiwork. There were shirts, towels, handkerchiefs, blouses, and delicate veils, each one of them more beautiful than the next. When he was done looking, she kindly told him, Now, if you don't have money, don't worry. If there's any item you need, you can always take it and pay me later. Already enraged that this country bumpkin had created finer things than he had ever imagined, and that he now wanted more than anything to possess, 
the sorcerer determined to lure her away and put a stop to it. So he said to her, Why don't you come with me? I'll make you my queen, and you'll live in luxury, and you'll never have to work again. Wouldn't you like that? But as always, the girl responded, Thank you, but no. I shall never leave the village of my birth where my parents lie buried. There's no place sweeter to me. And I shall never give up my craft or embroider for one person alone. Gripped with rage, the wizard pulled out his wand and turned the girl into a firebird so she could never work again. Then he transformed himself into a falcon and, grabbing Mariushka in his talons, soared high up into the clouds. As she realized that Kashai did not intend to let her live, the girl shed all of her luminous feathers, leaving a rainbow of color dancing around the village and surrounding countryside. And even today, some people still find them. It is said that the feathers are not any ordinary feathers, but that they hold a magic that can only be found by those who love beauty and have a heart for creating it for others. And so a piece of Mariushka's spirit lives in her village forevermore, just as she wished. The thing that I love so much about Mariushka's story, which is actually one of many firebird stories within the canon of Russian folktale, is that she knows so deep, deep down who she is and what she wants. She knows deep in her bones what she stands for, and that is that she places great value on her connection to her village and the people there, both living and dead. She knows how she works best and most creatively, and she knows that working one for one person isn't her jam because it would take her away from her mission. And she's really, really clear on what that is. She wants to make her art. She wants to do it on her terms whenever and for whomever she chooses. And she's so driven to do that, that there's really nothing Kashai or anyone else could tempt her with to make her do otherwise. She's not concerned about what are other people going to think about what I'm doing or how I'm doing it. She knows that she wants to make what she's doing accessible to people and available to those who appreciate it and love it. And that's because she's someone who's built an identity that supports her values and what it is she wants to create with her time on this earth. And she has values around how she wants to do it. And all of this provides us with a really beautiful springboard for talking about the magic of identity and the doors that open up when you're really clear on who you are and what you want. So what is identity? In the most simple terms, your identity is your sense of self, which sounds pretty easy, right? But there's actually a lot more to it. Your identity is built on a lot of things. And your identity, or we could also just say your beliefs about yourself and in part other people and the world around you, will determine everything you will ever do, be, have, or accomplish in this life. If a goal is something that, even if it's something that part of you really wants, if it's at odds with your identity, your chances of achieving it are pretty much zero. 
It's like the maxim, as above, so below, or you could even say as within, so without, which is the hermetic idea that there is a fundamental interconnectedness between the physical, mental, and spiritual realms. Or if you want to frame it, if you want to frame the psychology behind it in a kind of more mainstream way, you could look at Henry Ford and the saying, whether you think you can or can't, you're right. Right, which was his way of saying that if you don't believe in yourself, if you don't believe in your worthiness, if you don't believe in your capability, no matter how much you may say to yourself, I really want this thing, it's probably not going to happen for you. And your identity goes deeper than just the beliefs about yourself that you make up, right? Because on on some level, we make up everything we believe. We decide it based on who we want to be or some experience we've had or sometimes some trauma we've had. But basically, like everything in this world was made up by someone, right? Everything, everything in the world begins as a thought. But the thing that's really tricky about identity is that our thoughts and beliefs right, or the beliefs that, that um, create our thoughts can be conscious or unconscious. We don't always know that we have beliefs. And sometimes, most of the time, those ones that we don't know we have are so deeply seated and ingrained in us that they're the ones that have the biggest impact um, on whether we're going to be limited or or have kind of a sky's the limit attitude about what it is that we can do and have and create and all of that stuff. And in addition to that, it gets further complicated by the fact that identity is multifaceted and you actually don't just have one type of identity. You have several identities and types of identities that are all kind of vying and trying to infuse beliefs into your conception of self all at once. Right. So you have a personal identity, which is made up of your unique characteristics, your traits, the roles you play in life and the qualities that make you who you are. It encompasses aspects like your personality, values, beliefs, interests and talents. So if I asked you about your personal identity, your answer could be something like I'm an introvert, a writer, an animal lover, a mom, a childless person who never wants to have kids, an artist, a musician, a pagan, a Muslim, a Buddhist, a liberal, a conservative, a diabetic, or whatever, right? You get the idea. And the thing about your personal identity is that it can sometimes be at odds with how you're truly living in practice, right? It's like people who say, oh, I'm a writer, I'm writing a book, I'm writing a novel, I'm writing a screenplay, whatever it might be, when they're socializing with other people at parties. But in practice, they actually only really talk about writing, but never never or rarely sit down and do it and aren't really creating anything, even though they may really want to, right? And the why they're not doing it is another matter. It could have to do with blocks and things like that, but that's an identity maybe that they want to have, but aren't fully living into yet. 
And the other thing about your personal identity that kind of goes hand in hand with this idea of wanting to have an identity is that you can leverage an identity or frame an identity to support who you want to be, right? For example, if you want to lose weight, you can create an identity for yourself that says, you know, I've been fat all my life. I'm, I'm never going to be smaller sized and that's just the way it is. And that's probably not going to be so helpful. Or you could say, you know, I am someone whose identity is really deeply rooted in the idea that I eat healthy, I exercise regularly, and I take care of myself. And the more you repeat an identity or really anything else to yourself, and the more you practice doing it and being it, the more you're going to retrain your brain to believe that's who you are. And when you combine that, again, with the act of of doing things that are... Um, that are complementary to that identity, the more it will actually become who you are because then you're starting to build habits that support that identity, right? And that's what makes identity so powerful. Anything you put after I am becomes like a magical spell that determines what you believe you can accomplish and it determines how big your horizons for yourself are going to be from a personal perspective. Where it gets hairy is that you have a lot of different social identities that can either work with your personal identity or against it, sometimes overriding your beliefs about yourself and imposing outside expectations on them. For example, we all have a cultural identity which relates to belonging and identification with a particular culture or ethnic group, which in turn involves having shared customs, traditions, language, history, and values. So cultural identity can greatly influence your worldview and self-perception. Someone who is has grown up somewhere surrounded by people like them is going to have a really different worldview than someone maybe who didn't. For example, for me, as a first-generation German-American, I grew up speaking German at home with my mom because her English wasn't really great when I was young and also because we lived in Germany for the first few years of my life. And I spoke English with my dad because he didn't speak German. <laughs> And our holidays and traditions as I was growing up was kind of a mishmash of German and American customs, which makes me, or made me, still makes me, I guess, it made me different from the other kids I grew up with. You know, when I think about the little kids' stories my mom told me or children's songs we sang, I know the German songs. I don't, even to this day, I don't as much know the American ones that little American kids learn, especially not up until the time they start school. And so having that difference from most of the other kids I grew up around, you know, that I didn't quite, I wasn't really totally American. I wasn't totally German, even though once um, I got to school age, I lived in the United States and we, you know, 
were other than visits and stuff like that to family or summer spent with relatives. I grew up in a pretty American environment, but being different in that way from the other kids infused my identity with a sense of like, I'm different. I'm kind of weird. And I don't totally fit in with my peers who didn't have that kind of mixed cultural background. And that's something that I've carried with me, I think, through most of my life, right? And I'm not trying to make this all about me. I'm just using myself as an example because I know my own story best, right? Or to take kind of um, cultural background to another place, if you come from a cultural background that is very conservative in its views about women and what's permissible for them, you're likely to have some preconceptions about your own right to self-determination and what you're quote unquote allowed to do, which also segues really nicely into kind of another subset of social identity. Well, it's also personal identity, um, which is gender identity, which may or may not align with the biological sex we're assigned at work, right? Because gender is is a social construct and sex is a biological construct. And so gender identity is an essential aspect, not only of your cons- not only of your self-concept, right? That's why I said it's part of your personal identity, but also other people's concept of you, which is a social identity, which comes with a whole host of imposed beliefs about how you should present yourself or be. And all of those things play a really significant role in shaping your experiences of the world around you and how your identity intersects with the world around you, which then can impact your personal identity and depending upon your your experiences, how trusting and safe you feel with other people or, or how safe it feels to, to, you know, express who you are, right? The same thing goes for your sexual identity depending upon how open and affirming people around you are, if you're homosexual, bisexual, pansexual, whatever, um, that's going to affect how you're received by and interact with the world around you, which again, ultimately can affect your personal identity, your self-esteem, and your beliefs about the world too. And then you also have probably have a professional identity, which is formed through your occupation, career path, and professional affiliations, right? And it could include your roles, skills, and expertise within whatever your field is. And again, can deeply influence your self-esteem and sense of purpose. And I would say, you know, especially in the United States, sometimes we place too much on too much value on professional identity, right? I mean, I think we all know the example of when you meet a new person as an adult, you know, most people don't come up and say, hey, I'm Michelle. So what's your favorite color? What do you really enjoy doing? You know, most people introduce themselves and put themselves forward with their professional identity or asking about what you do for a living, which I think is really sad sometimes because there's so much more to us than how we earn our money. And, and in fact, 
in many cases, <laughs> um, a lot of people don't necessarily earn their money doing something that they're that is really completely aligned with who they are. You know, it's just if if you're lucky, you get to combine who you are and your mission and and personal identity with with what you put into the world in terms of a profession, but that's not always the case for everybody. So it's kind of sad that that's kind of how we put our foot forward. And then the last kind of identity that I want to talk about is digital identity, because in the modern world, where most of us, at least, you know, the couple holdouts who are maybe total Luddites don't have this, <laughs> but most of us have, have social media accounts, right? So your digital identity, which is kind of a, a newer type of identity, encompasses your online presence, activities, and interactions. It's, it's almost kind of like your personal brand, right? And it includes things like your profiles on social media platforms, online communities, how you present yourself on social media, which I think any of us who have ever been on Facebook, Instagram, or some other platform for more than five minutes know that the digital identities that people create are often really contrived and possibly not at all reflective of, of who a person is in real life. You know, um, I think especially those of us who have online businesses and things like that have all heard stories about the guy who, you know, rents a Lamborghini to pose in front of to give the impression that he's really successful and, and, and has a lot of money, or there are women who do it too, right? I can think of a lot of examples in the realm of high-end coaching, for example, where people definitely have a, a specific kind of vibe that they're trying to give off as part of their brand. But it's not even just, just people who have businesses. It's just, or people who are influencers, right? It's everybody, right? Most people do not get on social media and put their, um, you know, the, the more negative sides of themselves. Well, sometimes they do in the types of comments they make, but in general, you know, we, when we show up on social media, we all kind of curate how we present ourselves. If you know someone anywhere really, but especially on social media, you're getting this kind of tiny sliver of who they are. You're getting this little picture and that picture may be filtered um, and not at all emblematic of who the person is in real life. And so the interesting things, thing about all of these different kind of identities is that we can present really differently to others, depending upon which sphere of our lives we're in at the time, because our social identities, which are basically just the groups and communities with which we identify, can have a very different set of outside expectations that go along with them that very much tap into our fear of rejection and longing for a sense of belonging, which again influences our interactions with others, right? And in my view, if we really want to experience true kind of connection to each other 
as well as connection to something, you know, bigger than ourselves and alignment and real genuine growth and fulfillment, the identity that you really want to focus on strengthening is your personal identity. That's the identity whose voice you want to be the loudest and we want to maybe silence the roar of all of these social identities, which can sometimes have imposed expectations and even influence our picture of ourselves to the point that we're not really seeing who we really are because we're so mired in who we're expected to be. So when it comes to personal identity, right, what you really want to be is a Mariushka who is archetypal of the kind of person who really knows who she is and what she wants on a really, really deep level. And it might surprise you to know, or maybe not after hearing about these different types of identities and how they influence you, and that you can choose which ones you're going, which voices you're going to listen to in identity formation, that you actually have more power to consciously create and shape your personal identity than you might think or might have once thought. Meaning that while your culture, upbringing, experience, and other identities can inform your personal identity, you really do have the personal sovereignty and authority to decide what it is you're going to believe about yourself, whether that is coming from yourself or from other people, right? You you can choose not to believe everything you hear. And so you can choose to be guided by societal norms and expectations of who you should be and what you should want and how you should act in the world. Or you can follow your heart and sense of true self. It's your choice, but I know which one I would hope you would pick. Now, at the same time as you have sovereignty and the ability to intentionally choose what you're going to believe about yourself, I know that that is easier said than done. As we've talked about several times before, one of our core lizard brain needs as human beings is this need for acceptance, which means that our fear of rejection can make the idea of stepping into our fully embodied authentic selves, you know, into our true identity, pretty daunting. And yet if we can push past this very human barrier of fear of judgment, it's so liberating because something magical happens when we're finally ready to say, I am captain of my own ship. I'm the only person who has to live my life. So I'm going to step up and just be myself. And that is that we start to attract more of our people to us. These people are the people I like to think of as soul pod, which is my way of saying people who are truly aligned with us and end up becoming the kind of ride or die friends that are like the best kind of chosen family, which is one that's going to be honest with you, you know, lovingly honest, of course. And that will be there with you to support you through thick and thin. And they're going to be happy for you when good things happen. And they're going to celebrate you. And and they're going to celebrate even those things that you perceive as your own weirdness. Because they share those things too. 
And the other thing that happens is that the weight of the weight that comes with living inauthentically, right, which includes feelings of emptiness, dissatisfaction, disconnecting, not fitting in anywhere, that weight starts to lift. And that's why it is so very, very, very important that we stop prioritizing other other people's opinions of who we are or who we should be over our own self-identity or a self-identity that supports our growth and what we want to become in life. Um, And if you want to dig a little deeper into your self-identity and maybe even find some ideas about yourself that you may not be totally conscious that you have. One of the things that I think is kind of fun to do is I once took a course and I can't remember the name of the person who taught it. I want to say it was Isabel something, but it was many years ago. And in it, we were asked to write kind of a free form poem. And if poem scares you, just think of it as a list. Um, titled Unapologetically Me, where we were asked to list all of the roles and identities um, and beliefs that shape our concept of who we are. And so at the time, mine was something like, I'm a creator, I'm a teacher, I'm a teller of stories, I'm a daughter and caregiver, I'm an optimist, activist, rescuer of strays, I'm a keeper of old ways, I'm a perpetual student, I'm a wise woman of Sophia, a seeker of liminal space, I'm an eternal spark in a limited body, I'm a liberal, a snowflake, a champion of kindness, I'm a believer that what we put into the world comes back to us, and I am unapologetically me. And so, right, you get the idea. And actually the liberal snowflake part I just added in. I don't think snowflake was actually a term, uh, a term that was used at that time, (laughs) but it's not one I find offensive because I actually think that being empathetic and caring about people is not an insult. It's actually kind of a badge of honor, but at any rate, political terms aside, (laughs) try the exercise of writing out your identities and you may gain some insights into your beliefs about yourself and start to identify which ones are, which ones are supportive and which ones are not. Right. And you can even add some identities that speak to who you want to be and work on growing them by developing habits that are going to support who you want to become and it's worth the time and effort because life is so much sweeter when you can just show up as yourself, right? Being able to be authentic and be accepted is the best, right? And I know the word authenticity sometimes gets overused, But it really is worth the time and effort to make sure you're cultivating an identity that is true to your unique voice in the world and reflects your authentic self because it can have a profound and positive ripple effect on your growth, your relationships, your happiness, and your quality of life. And we want you, right? And the royal we, I guess. Well, I want you to, and I hope you want you to. Um live the best life possible and 
as Pollyanna-ish as it probably sounds, we need more people in this world who are happy and kind and passionate and true to who we are because we need more heart and spirit aligned creative caregiver leaders and change makers in the world. Right? Living, living from a place of pure selfishness does nothing to create some bit of beauty or kindness or make things a little better. And we have the power to do that if we make that part of our identity. And so we live in a world that really badly needs justice and connection and kindness. And it's a world that's waiting for you to create an identity for yourself as someone who can deliver those things and deliver them in a way that only you can. So with brightest of blessings until next time, this has been the Remembering Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want more, please subscribe and share. And to learn more about me and the work I'm doing at Into the Wild Woods of the Soul, which includes some, I think, really cool upcoming courses where we'll be dub- diving further into identity and sovereignty and and illuminating your path of purpose come visit me at martinarutledge.com and subscribe to my newsletter